You're listening to the Acts, How the Gospel Changes the World series, preached by Pastor Dan Christians at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Well, I'm grateful for that truth, that we serve a God who is worthy. And he's worthy not just because of how wonderful he is and, and for his creation and his power, but he's worthy because he came to this earth and he gave his life for mine. And so he's not just worthy because of who he is, he's worthy because of what he's done for us. And we need to realize that that means he's worthy of our lives. And it, is, it really isn't enough to come to church and sing about that. Okay, it's great to do that, but we show that we believe that he's worthy in how we live throughout the week. And um, so I, I, I'm so excited. The songs we sang today, all day long, were fantastic songs. I'm excited that, that together we can join our voices and praise God for who he is. And I'm excited tonight to be back in the book of Acts. It's been a while. It's been since June 23rd, since the last time I was in the book of Acts. We just had a lot of things going on on Sunday nights. And I felt really bad because we were in Acts chapter 24, and we've done three lessons from that chapter. And there was a fourth that needed to be done to complete the section we're in, and, and it's been a long break since that we got to, to get here to this fourth section. And so I'm excited about tonight being able to kind of finish up this chapter, if you will, in Paul's life and move on to the next, the next trial that he'll face with Festus. But what we've been talking about lately is the story of his trial before Felix, the governor. And so we're going to continue that trial tonight. The message is called The Inconvenience of the Gospel. And what I want to do tonight is I want to look at Felix and who he was and, and, and what he came bringing to this conversation that we're going to see tonight. And then we're going to look at Paul. So we'll see where Felix was at and we're going to look at how Paul relays to him the gospel and, and what method he uses and how he does it. And I hope by the end of this we see that first of all, it's a bad idea to do what Felix did. And second of all, it's a good idea to present the gospel the way that Paul did, even though in this case it didn't produce results. It's necessary. And so we're going to see those two things tonight. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the lesson. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful that we can turn to uh, um, an authority that is perfect, that is um, divine, Lord, that we don't have to worry about whose opinion is right and who we should turn to, Lord, that we have your perfect word to guide our lives. And, and Lord, I understand that there are differences of opinion on how to interpret some things and some passages, but there are so many things in your word that are just so clear. And God, I believe the message tonight is very clear, and I pray that you'd help us by your spirit to respond the way we ought to. Um, Lord, if there's people here that aren't saved, they don't know Christ as their Savior, I pray that you'd work in their hearts as the gospel is proclaimed. And Lord, for those of us that knew, do know Christ, I pray that you'd help us to um, see how the gospel ought to be presented, see how Paul presented it, and then to go into our lives and boldly and in love proclaim the gospel. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather tonight and open up your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we're going to be back in Acts chapter 24 this evening, and I just want to really quickly review the story up to this point. We're not going to give a lot of time to this review, but we do need to understand how we got to where we are. And so, if you haven't been with us for a while, the story started in Acts chapter 21 when Paul returned to Jerusalem. 
And Paul returns to Jerusalem. He's taken, he's beaten by Jews that really don't like Paul because they think Paul is now anti-Semitic. He's anti-Jewish. And, and so they've, they've beaten him, and he's been saved by the Romans. Now he's in Roman custody, but the problem is Claudius Lysias, who is the chief captain of the Romans, doesn't know what to do with him. He doesn't know what he's guilty of. He doesn't know what he's done, and he doesn't know why these Jews hate him. But at the same time, he can't just release Paul because the Jews really do hate him. And if he does that, he might incite a riot. And so he's kind of in this difficult position, doesn't know what to do, and eventually he finds out that there's a plot to kill Paul. And so he sees this kind of as his opportunity to get rid of Paul, to get Paul, that problem of what do I do with Paul, out of his care and into another's. And so he sends Paul to Caesarea Philippi, and he sends him to Felix, who is the governor of Palestine at the time. And so Felix is kind of the next guy up, and he just said, hey, this is not my problem anymore. I'm going to give it to you. Here's a letter. Here's Paul. Do whatever you want with him. And so Acts chapter 24 opens with Paul standing trial before Felix, and he's standing in trial. The, the prosecution is the Jewish Sanhedrin. They've hired a lawyer named Tertullus, who's a, a slick-talking lawyer, who's certainly not above telling lies and doing whatever he can to get his way. And so Tertullus opens, and he, he first of all opens with all of this flattery that is vain and it's empty and, and it's complete lies, but he, he starts off by just saying, hey, Felix, you are the best governor that we've ever had and we just love you and you're wonderful, and, and all of those things weren't true. He was a terrible governor, he was terrible to Jews, the Jews hated him, but Tertullus didn't care. And all the while, you have all of these people that are part of the Jewish Sanhedrin, these religious leaders who represent the Jews, who the Jews look up to, standing behind Tertullus applauding all of these lies. And so then he gives all these three ap- accusations before Paul, about Paul, to the governor, and, and Paul is given his opportunity to respond. And so Paul responds by systematically going through those three accusations and showing how he was not guilty of what they had said he had done. And Paul is calm and he's cool and he's collected and he does a masterful job of demonstrating that he truly is innocent of those accusations. So now it's time for, for Felix to render a verdict. You know, it, it seems pretty clear. I mean, so far Claudius Lysias, back in Acts chapter 23, found him not guilty found that there was no accusation that could stand against him. And, and even the Jewish Sanhedrin in Acts 20, chapter 23, verse 9, said that we find no accusation against him. At least the Pharisees thought that. They were part of the Sanhedrin. And so he's got really no evidence against them. And, and the witnesses that should be there, they're not present to, to say, listen, I saw him do these things. And so it seems like a really easy verdict. It seems not guilty is just a no-brainer. Anybody should be able to make this decision. There's, there's no accusations that stand against this man. There's no witnesses. There's nothing to say that he broke any laws. So it makes sense that we would just let him go. Even the people that are prosecuting him at one point said that he wasn't guilty. Okay? So it's a pretty easy verdict, but that's not the verdict we get. And so we'll see in Acts chapter 24, starting at verse 22, what Felix does. It says, when, he, when Felix heard these sayings, having a more perfect knowledge of that way. Now, what he's talking about there is during the, the course of Paul's uh, defense of himself, Paul continually went back to this idea of worshiping God 
and believing in the resurrection. And, and essentially, he's trying to say, listen, I'm doing these things because I believe Christ is risen from the dead and I'm serving him. and I'm trying to do what I believe is right before God and man. I'm trying to be clean and do right. And so Felix here clearly knows something about what he's talking about because when he says the way, the way refers to Christianity. It's referred to as that many times throughout the book of Acts. The way is simply, it's the way of Christ. And so he knows more perfectly. Uh, Felix, he knows about Christianity. And it makes sense that he would know about it because he lived in Caesarea Philippi along with Philip the Evangelist and Cornelius the Centurion who got saved and many other Christians in a church there in Caesarea. And so certainly Christians had come across his path. He had heard the gospel before. Verse 22 continues. He deferred them and said, When Lysias the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And so in a trial that seems like it's very clear to say not guilty, his verdict is not now. I'm not going to decide right now. I'm going to defer you. I'm going to wait until Claudius Lysias comes down. Well, the fact of the matter is he already has a letter from Claudius Lysias that says everything he knows about the trial, everything he knows about the matter. And Claudius Lysias' final decision is, I don't find anything to condemn him. So he already knows what Claudius Lysias is going to say. He's doing this because even though he knows he's not guilty, he does not want to make the Jews that are there angry because the, the area that he rules is filled with Jews. And so if you get a whole group of people angry with you, you'll no longer be able to contain them, to control them, and you will no longer be allowed to rule. And so he's doing this as a political thing. I'm going to defer you. I'm going to wait until later. You know, I'm going to give this excuse of waiting for Claudius Lysias. But that's really not the case. He goes on in verse 25. And, sorry, in verse 23. And he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty that he should forbid none of the acquaintances to minister or to come to him. For the Romans... When they wanted to keep a prison, there was, prisoner, there was different ways of doing that. You had different, uh, you call it almost levels of detainment. And one of the levels of detainment was custodia libera. And that literally means custody of freedom. Okay? And, and so it's kind of an oxymoron. Like you're in custody, you're in chains, or, or you're, you're being held, but you have freedom. Those two things don't really go together, but that's what Paul is given here, where he's in custody, and he's commanded, but, but he's supposed to be able to still have liberty, and his friends are allowed to come to him. Now, this is really important because the Romans didn't often feed their prisoners, and so the only way that, he, that Paul was going to stay alive was if he had friends that would come to him often and bring him meals and bring him food and take care of him. And so his friends were allowed to do that. It seemed like he was almost saying, hey, listen, I'll, I'll keep you custody because I know the Jews want me to, but hey, give him as much freedom as he wants because he's really not guilty. And so Paul lives this life for a while and he's probably living in his palace in a room. And so really not terrible circumstances for Paul at the time, um, but still he's not free to go wherever he wants. Verse 24, And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. I really want you to get the picture here, okay? Because this is, this is a weird and, and very interesting thing to happen. Felix, who has already had Paul stand trial before him, so he already knows 
kind of what Paul is up to and what's going on. And he doesn't really even like the situation because it's kind of a messy situation. And he is the governor of a whole region. Very important man, very powerful man. He, he had the ability to do whatever he wanted, go wherever he wanted, enjoy whatever pleasures he wanted. I mean, he, he had a lot of power and a lot of freedom. And so it's interesting that he calls a prisoner to a very special meeting with just him and his wife. Now you say, why was his wife there? Well, most likely his wife was there because she's the one that wanted the meeting. She probably went to her husband and said, hey, listen, I'm a Jew and I understand some of these things and and I've heard of this Christ in Christianity and the Jews, they were expecting the Messiah. And so maybe she has an inkling that, hey, I wonder if this is the Messiah. Now I want you to, to picture what this room is like then. Okay, you have Felix who... When we read about Felix a few lessons ago, um, we found that Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, said this of Felix. He said, Felix's cruelty and licentiousness, coupled with his accessibility to bribes, led to a great increase of crime in Judea. The period of his rule was marked by internal feuds and disturbances, which he put down with severity. And that's all to say that Felix is a mean guy. Okay? He is very selfish. He's all about getting bribes. He's all about participating in whatever sexual immorality that he can, he can do. I mean, he's, he's a licentious. He, he's a bad dude. So you have Felix. At this time, this immoral and evil man was probably between 45 and 50 years old. And then you have Drusilla. And most people believe Drusilla was either his second or third wife. Um, the wife prior to Drusilla was also named Drusilla, which is, which is kind of interesting. So we call this Drusilla the Judean Drusilla. I don't know why I said that, but that's, it's just an interesting little tidbit of information. But this Drusilla is a very interesting character because she is one of Herod Agrippa. Remember King Agrippa? One of his three daughters was Drusilla. And when she was six years old, Drusilla died. Or Sorry, not Drusilla. Agrippa died. And do you remember how Agrippa died? is in Acts chapter 12, I believe. It's back when uh, James was killed. So Agrippa kills James, has him beheaded for the Jews. He's about to kill Peter. Peter's released. And eventually he goes over to Caesarea Philippi and they worship him as a god. And he accepts this worship as a god. And the Bible says that, that all of a sudden he is struck dead. And he, so he dies because he's accepting worship that belongs to God and so he is he's killed by God on the spot. And so she's six years old when this happens. I believe that maybe she heard this story a little bit. Maybe she thought that there was something about Christianity. You know, it didn't work out too well for my dad. Now, her life went on, and, and by the time she was 14, she was already married. And she was married to a man named King Azizus, and he was king of a place called Amisa in Syria. So she's already married when she meets Felix. And Felix is struck by her beauty. Josephus says that, that she did exceed all other women in beauty. She's 14 years old, but a beautiful, beautiful girl. He's 45 to 50 years old, and he thinks, she's gorgeous, my Drusilla, not so pretty, maybe my Drusilla getting a little bit older, I'm about ready for a new Drusilla. And so he <laughs> proposes to this girl who is still married to another king, and she accepts. And so she leaves her husband, get married. I'm trying to paint this picture for you so you understand who's in the room right now. Okay? So she's a Jew, but she's really not a practicing Jew. 
and, and he's an incredibly evil and immoral man. And for some reason, both of them want to know more about faith in Christ. And so we'll look at verse 25. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. Now I'm always amazed at that verse. Because when I see what Paul does in this situation... I think it's different from what the majority of pastors who want to see that person respond well to the gospel would do. I think that most pastors or, or most preachers or most evangelists that would want somebody to accept the gospel and say, hey, listen, because you think about it. Paul is in the custody of Felix, right? So if Felix gets saved, he's free. I mean, first of all, he's, he's absolutely free. He's probably, I mean, if Felix gets saved, really understands the gospel, this is a big deal for him. Um, Agrippa has almost unlimited resources, and so he's taken care of for life. He can be a missionary wherever he wants to and, and be well-fed. No, no problem for him. Not only that, think about what kind of effect this would have had on the church in Palestine. If all of a sudden Christianity is being, is being spearheaded by the man who is in charge... He's a Christian too. This, I mean, from a marketing perspective, if you wanted Christianity to just explode at this time, give the gospel so he wants to receive it. Give it the easiest way possible. I'm surprised it doesn't say he reasoned with them of love and grace and, and mercy and forgiveness and, and eternal life. And he just, he talked about all the wonderful things of the gospel and, and he could have done those things and those things would have been true, right? But Paul here focuses on something different. He says he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Why those things? Paul, why not focus on something happy? Why talk about righteousness? Why temperance and self-control? Why judgment to come? Why are you bringing judgment into this? You can keep hell out of it for now. I mean, that's, that's not necessary. Just, just tell them about the love of Jesus and say, just ask them into your heart and you'll be saved and you'll go to heaven forever and, and everything will be sunshine and roses. That's not what Paul does. So we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But we see... Clearly, Felix's response is that he trembles, he's afraid, he gets it, he understands the gospel, and he's afraid. And then he says, I will wait for a more convenient time, and I'll call you back, and then I'll hear about Christ again, and maybe at that convenient time, I will trust Christ. But not right now. Verse 26. And I think verse 26 is here to give us a little bit of the attitude and and the decision that Felix made. It says, He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent him the oftener and communed with him. And so here it seems fairly clear that Felix is doing this and, and he understands what he, what he needs to do and he is afraid. But he says, you know what, I'm going to wait till later and I'm hoping that, you know, somehow if I keep you in prison, I'll keep the Jews happy and maybe someday you'll bribe me and, and I'll get more money and I've chosen sin over Christ. That's kind of what it seems like. That's why Luke maybe recorded it this way. He chose the bribe instead of choosing Christ. Verse 27 ends with, But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. And So for two years, Paul is left prisoner, and ultimately Felix is brought up to Rome, and he's brought under charges, and he isn't killed there. He, he isn't... Uh, he has a brother that, that has a great deal of sway with Nero, and so his brother gets him off, but he, that very soon he's going to be out of the picture. And very soon, Paul is going to stand trial before a different governor named Festus. 
But as far as we know, we can follow Felix's story to the end of his story. As far as we know, no indication that he ever trusted Christ. Um, Drusilla was killed about 20 years later in a volcano eruption. And as far as we know, same thing. Okay? And so what I want to do tonight is try and see how we can apply these things to our lives. And as we look to apply it, I think I see two very distinct ways of going about it. First of all, we can look at Paul, and we can look at how Paul handled himself. Okay, how did he present the gospel? The second thing I think we can do is we can look at Felix, and we can see how he responded to the gospel. And so that's what we're going to do. First of all, we see that the gospel that was presented is the gospel that saves. The question is, why did Paul present the gospel this way? Well, I believe you're presented this way because this is the gospel that saves. Why would Paul be so hard on them? It would have been so much better for him and for maybe Christianity as a whole if he could have just got a convert, got an easy one. You know, there's a lot of easy believism going on in churches today. And it is unfortunate that we're presenting the gospel in a way that highlights good things and doesn't talk about judgment and doesn't talk about sin. And while there might be this Oh yeah, heaven sounds good, I'll go with that. There's no real repentance. There's no understanding of sin and the weight of sin and and the the justice and and judgment and righteousness and holiness of God. And so people just add Jesus to their life. And that's just not conversion. And so the gospel that's presented is the gospel that saved. I think when Luke is summarizing this with the the righteousness and and the justice and the temperance, Judgment and temperance? I think what he's doing is he's summarizing this conversation they had. Now, think about what he'd been talking about there. Well, first of all, he brings out righteousness. If he's summarizing righteousness, what do you, where do you think Paul went with that? I think he probably would have presented a case for righteousness very similar to what he did in Romans chapter 1 to 3. When you look at the Romans chapter 1 to 3, it, it'll just jump off the page to you how often Paul talks about righteousness and unrighteousness. And what is he doing there? Paul takes... Three groups of people. He takes the Jews, he takes the religious person, and then he takes the pagan. And he shows how each of them are condemned by a holy God. Okay? God is this righteous and they are not. That, that, that's his message. Let's look at Romans chapter 3 and look at the, the condemnation of God on unrighteous people. Romans chapter 3, and we'll start reading at verse 9. Paul writes, What then? And so he's, he's just finished his condemnation of Jews and pagans and religious people. He says, What then? Are we better than they? No in no wise. For we have before proved that Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what, the, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth shall be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
when, when Paul talks about the righteousness of God, what he's doing is he's trying to, to, to make this abundantly clear to all people. Every person in this room, whether religious, whether crazy fanatically religious, or whether completely pagan. Paul says, all have come short of the glory of God. Every person falls short. There is no person, pope, preacher, anybody in the entire world that keeps the law of God. That's what he's saying here. And so when Paul brings up righteousness, he's saying, hey, listen, this is God's standard. Okay? This is the Ten Commandments. This is the law. And this is how we all fall short of it. Then he moves on, and the second word he speaks about is temperance. And, and the word temperance in the Greek is enkratia, and it literally means mastery over oneself, especially over sensual desires and pleasures. Now, think about the life that we've already talked about that, that Felix lived, and that Drusilla lived. And then he, he speaks about temperance. Now, why is he bringing up temperance after he's spoken about righteousness? Well, maybe because he was making it pretty clear that they didn't exercise self-control, that they didn't master themselves. Right? That when it came to these sensual desires and pleasures, they were guilty. And when we are, are to present the gospel to people, we're trying to, to give the gospel, we need to start with, hey, listen, there is a law of God, and I fall short, I fall way short, and you fall short. We're both guilty. We both stand here condemned. Paul could have easily said, hey, listen, believe in Christ and you'll be saved. No, he didn't. He says, this is what God's righteousness is all about. This is how you've broken it. This is how you haven't shown temperance. You're not showing self-control. And he finishes with the worst one, right? The, the third thing he talks about is judgment to come. Nowadays, hellfire and brimstone type of messages are not very popular, right? Can I tell you something? I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't like talking about hell. I don't like preaching about hell. I don't like telling people about hell. I, I personally wish that hell didn't exist. Do you know why? Because I'm not holy. I'm not holy like God is. And so when I think of people's sins, I'm much more willing to excuse sin than a holy and perfect and righteous God is because he has a real hatred for sin. He, he knows how destructive it is. He knows what rebellion against the Creator is. And so I'd rather not talk about hell, but the Bible does. Jesus did quite often. Many people want to, want to look at Christians and say, hey, shouldn't you be more like Christ? Shouldn't you just be loving and kind and accepting of all people? And the answer is yes, absolutely. We should be loving and kind to people. And the most loving and kind thing that you can do is tell people truth. And I'm not saying you, you go around and knock on doors and say, hey, you know you're going to hell. You know, I don't want you to go home and, and have your neighbor say something like, man, it's a warm day today. And you're like, yeah, but it's not as hot as it'll be in hell for you. Right? Don't do that. Don't be mean. Don't be a jerk. Okay? People don't... Pe like, this is the problem. You have Christians on one side that get the love part, and so they, all they ever do is talk about that, and they don't understand that, that real love is truth. And then you have Christians on the other side that they're just so excited that people are going to burn in hell that there's absolutely no love. There's only self-righteousness. And we have to find where Paul is here. Because he's not, he's not preaching the gospel this way to... Drusilla and to Felix because he hates them, because he's laughing at them because they're going to hell. He's not talking about judgment because he's reveling in the thought of them burning. He's talking about judgment because he wants them to know the truth. He wants them to know that, that someday they will stand before God. We will all stand before God. 
And if you don't know Christ your Savior, if you don't have His righteousness, then there is no other righteousness that will work. There, there's, you are unrighteous and I'm unrighteous by ourselves. So he speaks about judgment because he's loving them. And we need to be willing to speak about judgment in love. Okay, the Bible doesn't change with culture. Do you realize that? I mean, th- certainly there are things in the Bible where we say, okay, how do I understand this in the culture that I live? But we don't change what the Bible says about hell because it's not popular. And so this is the gospel that, that Paul presents. Can I read you some terrifying verses from Revelation chapter 20? This is, this is truth. And I, I don't like these verses. This is truth. Revelation 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Those are terrifying verses. And can I take just one minute to plead with you if you don't know that you're found written in the book of life? I mean, if church is just a fun thing that you do, if it's a good club to be a part of, if you don't know for sure that you know Christ as your Savior, there is no other way. Church will be a fun club until you die. And then you will stand with everybody else before the great white throne judgment. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you the truth. And so you need to know you're saved. Now let's look to the response of Felix. His first response is fear. And I think that's a very fitting response. To me, the fact that he responds with fear tells me that he understands what he just heard. Because if you understand that we're all unrighteous, if you understand that we're all guilty before God, that we don't have enough self-control, we're not good within ourselves, then when you talk about judgment to come, it scares you. And so he responds with fear. And that's a normal, natural response to the gospel. Okay? And if you're presenting a gospel that would have somebody never respond with fear, whether they reject it or not, then it's probably not the right gospel. His second response is procrastination. He doesn't deny the gospel. He doesn't deny its facts. He doesn't believe that it's untrue. He doesn't argue with Paul about it. He does none of those things. What he says there is, I will call you when I have a more convenient time. Okay, at this point, the gospel is not convenient for him in his life. That's because there's a cost to discipleship. pastor talked about it this morning. Jesus, when he presented the gospel, he did not present a gospel that said, hey, listen, come to me, no strings attached. Right? He said, come to me, all, everybody come to me, all, sinners come to me, I, I want you to come to me, but realize when you come to me, there is a cost. And so, when Paul presents this gospel to them, he's presenting the true, real gospel. Uh, Felix gets it, and he procrastinates. He doesn't say no, he says later. 
there might not be a more dangerous response. When God convicts your heart of a truth, what you need to do is respond. Okay? We glory in the grace of God, and, and I'm glad that I was given more than one chance to respond to the gospel. I'm glad that it was presented to me a number of times. I, I was kind of hard-headed, and, and eventually I got it. But listen, the clock's going to run out for all of us. We don't know when that happens, right? And, and so I'm, I'm saying, for the unbeliever, I'm even talking about the believer. Why do we come to church sometimes and know that what, what's said is true and, and, and know that there's something in our life we ought to change? And then we just, you know, never do it. I do it all the time. No, I'm, okay, yeah, that's something I've got to take care of, but I've got to take care of these things first. Why do, we, why do we procrastinate? Why do we say it's not convenient at this time? God is speaking to you. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, respond. Well, he responds in procrastination. There will not be a greater regret that anyone will ever have for any decision than what he had for that decision right there. I'm, and I'm, I'm making the assumption that he never came to Christ later in life. As far as we know, he didn't. But if he never came to Christ later in life and he was presented with the gospel and he said, well, I'll just wait till it's more convenient, uh, I don't think that there's anybody that will ever regret a decision more than that decision right there. That's, this is a big deal for you. I, I mean, how we respond to the gospel is important. Um, when I was... 16, that's when I, I believe I, I really got saved. That's when I really trusted Christ my Savior. And so for a while I came back and, and I was telling my friends and it didn't really go over a lot that well. And then I had my cousins, uh, Jamie and Jeffrey, come to visit me. And the year before they had come to visit me, I was not a very good kid. And so we did a lot of bad things together. And I think they expected that we were coming, they were going to come over and we were going to have the same bad time that we had before. And I wasn't a perfect Christian. I didn't know how to present the gospel <laughs> the way that maybe I should have. Um, but I, I knew what God had done in my heart and life, and, and I knew the basics. And so I tried to give Jamie the gospel. And Jeffrey wasn't really, he didn't want to really listen. And so I, I talked to Jamie a lot. Jamie seemed to be really getting it. And after a, a few conversations, eventually he said, listen, I believe what you're saying is true, but I'm going to wait until I'm 18 and then I'll get saved because I'm having a good time right now. So he, he's got two years. He sees, you know, I have a girlfriend back at home. I got parties that I like to go to. I have things that I want to do. And so I'm going to have a good time for a couple years, but I believe what you're saying is true, and then maybe someday I'll take care of that. When Jamie was 18 years old, he tried to commit suicide. And he called me from, a, a, he was put in a, a mental hospital for a while, and he called me from there, and he said, hey, this is Jamie shocked, I'd heard about the story, did not know what to think. He said, do you still believe in God? I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> still believe in God. He said, can you tell me how to get saved again? And so, listen, what I'm trying to say is that God was gracious and merciful to him. He gave him a second chance. You don't know what's going to happen when you put it off. Because there are some sad endings. Right? There are many sad endings. There are millions of sad endings. And so what I'm trying to say to you tonight, if, if you don't know Christ as your Savior... Why would you wait? Why would you wait to make the most important decision of your, of your entire life and do you realize what you're doing is you're saying, God is saying, I want you as my child. I love you in spite of your sin. And I want to save you from that sin and from the eternal punishment of that sin. And I want to do it so badly that I send my son to die in your place and your response to that is, not now? Really? God died for you and you say, not now? Listen to me. Respond well. Trust Christ as your Savior if you don't know him. And for those of us that know him, let's, uh, let's present a gospel that saves. Let's not present 
the other gospel that Paul, Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. If it's any other gospel, let that man be accursed. Okay, and a gospel with no judgment and no righteousness and, and none of those things, it, it's not the gospel. We must not wait to make the right decision. Um, Sherlock Holmes said to Watson, Watson, come at once if convenient. If inconvenient, come all the same. <laughs> I think that's a, that's a good... Hey, listen, it's going to be inconvenient. It's okay. Come to Christ. By the street of by and by, one arrives at the house of never. So don't wait. Do not live eternally with the regret of not knowing that you had an opportunity to accept Christ as your Savior and you didn't take it. Let's pray.